Kimberly Browning. Interesting name. Anybody know Kimberly Browning? Local resident here from Beach Grove. Kimberly Browning is a lady who started a salon called The Vault. She does hair care inside of an old bank. In fact, it's a 100-year-old bank, and the vault in this bank is still there. This is a picture of Kimberly and her team of beauticians. Uh, I know this guy looks like he's in the NFL. He's not. Um, he uh, as actually works on hair. And so that's her team. That's her crew. One day when she was doing hair for a high school girl, she asked a simple question. Are you going to the prom? Right there, she's doing her thing on the girl's head or whatever. The girl says, no, I'm not going because I can't afford it. Right there in that moment, Kimberly, this lady right here. I don't know her personally, but I've heard she's, she's an interesting person. She says, she says she caught a burden. She caught a vision. She was crushed. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard Matt talk about the story of Nehemiah and how leadership begins with a burden. Kimberly caught a burden. She felt, she felt sad. So she started to ask some of her friends that had daughters, because Kimberly just had sons, you know, what, do you, what have you done with your daughter's prom dresses? You know, they were in closets here, there, all over. She started to collect old prom dresses, used prom dresses. Then she went into some of the high schools and said to some of the school counselors, do you know any girls that are not, that would like to go to the prom, but they can't go to the prom because dresses are, are expensive? And so sure enough, blah, 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 they started to connect and and she started this, this thing called Project Prom. It's amazing. Today, they give, they give away about 75 dresses per year around the time of March to girls who simply would like to go to prom, but they can't afford it. It's not just the dresses. It's, it's the, the purses and the shoes and, and all the accessories. I don't know what girls wear to prom these days, but oh, the whole package. And, and now they serve every single high school in the Indianapolis area. Is that not amazing? Can we just, just clap for her? I mean, it's just, here's what she did. Here's what she, she caught, she had a burden, it started, and then she didn't say, oh, someone else will do something about that. No, she said, I'm going to do something about that. And now she has a team of volunteers. Of course, she can't do it alone. She has a team of volunteers that helps her pull off this event around March 5th or so, where they give away all of these dresses to all of these girls. You know, this, in this series, we, what, we said, you know, that lead, what we said is that leadership is this ability to, to influence others or use your influence to rally others to accomplish something that you cannot do alone. There's no way that Kimberly Browning can accomplish what she's doing today by herself. She needs a team of people around her. You know, this series is called Go First. We've never done a leadership series at our church before. It's kind of fun. It's kind of new. Hopefully, uh, it's been challenging to you. My, my goal and my heart behind this series is really to empower you to say, hey, you know what? I am a leader because I have influence and I can do something just like Kimberly did. I don't have to be Martin Luther King Jr. I don't have to be Abraham Lincoln. I don't have to be George Washington. No, 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 no. Those are great leaders for sure. But you are a leader too because you have influence. Even if it's a small amount of influence, you can make a difference with that influence. And so that's really what this series is all about. And so in week one, we talked about how you have to have a burden. You have to take ownership. You have to act in love. Last week, we talked about the leader's mindset. You have to be positive because if you're negative and pessimistic, nobody's following you, right? Who wants to follow a negative leader, right? We, we, we don't want to follow people like that. And your, 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 uh, your positivity or your optimism has to be rooted in God's ability and not your 
own ability, just like Joshua and Caleb. So, man, if you missed last week, man, go back to the podcast, watch it. I promise you it'll be encouraging to you. Talk about the mindset. Today, what I want to do is talk to you about a specific skill that every single leader needs to have. And it actually comes from our definition. Now, if leadership is using your influence to, to rally others to accomplish something you can't do by yourself, you need other people. So here's what leaders do. Leaders empower people. That's what they do. Leaders give away responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. They give away responsibility and authority to other people because they need their help to get it done. There's a guy named Eli Broad. I didn't know who he was until I was doing a little research on this talk. He is the only individual, the only person, the only leader to ever create or build two Fortune 500 companies in two different industries in the home building industry and in the insurance industry. He's built, he's written books, and, and this is what he said about delegation and empowerment. He said this, the inability to delegate is one of the biggest problems I see with managers at all levels. Now you say, well, I don't lead a company, or I don't do this. What, do you have a home? Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? You are a leader. You just, this is not just a work thing, this is a life thing. The inability to delegate is one of the biggest problems with managers at all levels in all different areas and genres. You know, there's a statement out there today that I'll say it, and I want you to complete it. I'll start it, and you're going to be, I promise you, you'll be able to finish this statement, right? It's a very, very popular phrase. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Now, some of you, some of you missed that. You weren't paying attention. I'm going to invite you to finish this statement with me. Let's do it again together. If you want something done right, you have to do it yeah, you've heard that. You've heard that, right? There's a kernel of truth to that, correct? Right? That is the most non-leadership statement that a person can make. I know that's bad grammar, but that's just the, the most the most non-leadership thought out there because if you do it yourself, you're not leading anything. If you do it yourself, you're limiting your ability to make a difference to, to your own capacity and your own resources and your own skills and your own creativity if you don't empower others. John Maxwell is a leadership guru. He's, getting, he's written lots and lots of books about leadership. In one of his specific books called The 17 Laws of Teamwork, this is what John Maxwell said. He said, nothing of significance was ever achieved by an individual acting alone. Think about that. I mean, what has changed in our world today because one person is doing something on their own? Nothing. Nothing ever changes. Kimberly Browning doesn't give away 75 dresses every year by herself. And so leaders simply acknowledge the fact that, hey, if we're going to get something significant done, I need to develop a team. I need to get people around me and tap into all of the resources. See, together we can make a bigger, a bigger difference in the world. There's a great story in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 6, that captures this idea. Andy Stanley writes about it in his book, The Next Generation Leader, which is a fantastic short little book for, for leaders. If you want to pick that up, we have a couple of copies in our bookstore. Uh, but he's the pastor of North Point Community Church, North Point Ministries. They've got a small church that runs about 25,000. I don't know if you've heard about it. <laughs> uh, maybe more. Anyway, uh, he, he, he basically tells this story in Acts chapter 6. Or, and I'm going to take a little bit of a different perspective on it. But um, in Acts chapter 6, the, the church of the, in the first century is getting launched. And, and Jesus, when he left the, the apostles, he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on into all the world and make disciples. Uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and then I'll be with you to the end of the age. That, that was the instructions he gave. He did not leave a manual for how to do church. Wouldn't that have been cool? Like a Jesus manual? 
Here's how to structure the church. Here's how to make it happen. Here's how to run a meeting. Here's how to, you know, you know organize your team. and all. He didn't do that. He just said, go make disciples, right? So the first century apostles, they got this church, and, and they got to kind of create, you know, figure out how to lead. And so, they're, so the church is exploding. And, and, and I want you to see what happens in, in Acts chapter 6. Watch this. This is great. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, which that was the vision, right? Go make disciples. So more and more people were becoming believers. A problem came up. Watch this. There was rumblings of discontent. Now, in a dark, twisted way, this kind of makes me happy. Because this is the first church and they had problems. We have problems in this church. And uh, it makes me smile, you know. It's like, at least we're not alone. People were, people were discontent in the, fir- in the first, right out of the gate, people were discontent. Right? You know, it was a little bit different back then because back then in the first church, when you got discontent, you couldn't leave and go to the other. You couldn't go. <laughs> you couldn't go to Mount Pleasant or CCG or the Vineyard or it wasn't any other church. <laughs> so you had to figure it out, right? You had to stay there and kind of stick with it. Anyway, that's not my point at all. What was the problem? The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, and this is what they were complaining about. Watch this. They said, our widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. It's amazing. This is, this is fantastic. I love this. The apostles. Now, I'm talking about the big dogs. Peter, the rock. Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. James, the brother of Jesus. I'm talking about Bartholomew, the, big, the, the 12 big dogs are running the widow's food distribution system. Hmm, interesting. That's just, that's just, to me, that's very, very interesting. Why? Why were the big dogs who were charged by Jesus himself from the mouth of Jesus going to all the world and make disciples, oh, but we got to feed the widows. Why were they doing that? Here's why. Because Jesus taught that leadership is about servanthood. And he would repeat this and then model it and repeat it and model it. Watch one section in Mark chapter 10. This is in all four Gospels, but watch this. Jesus said, you know, secular leaders are people that lead without God or without God in mind. They kind of use their power and authority to leverage their, you know, to get people to serve them. And it's all about, you know, you know, in, you know being number one or whatever. Here's what Jesus says. It's, it's going to be different with you guys. It's not going to be like that with you guys. Here, here's, here, here's the way leadership works. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, say, say it with me, must be your servant. And then he pounded it a little bit more in, in a different way, uses some different words. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone. Whoa. So, so when the apostles are kind of leading and the church is exploding and people are starting to put their faith in Jesus, the things started to, you know, there, there were social needs that came up. Like these widows, their husbands had died. They didn't have an income. We don't know exactly what their situation was. Maybe they were too old to work or something like that. I don't know. But whatever the case was, the church started to provide food for them. Now, that wasn't the main mission of the church. The church is not a social institution to solve all of the world's problems. But as it grows, we are going to try to help out with food or whatever, orphans or whatever, right? But the main mission of the church is to make disciples. But the, but the apostles, they noticed that this is a huge need. So what did they do? They jumped in. They got their hands dirty, and they started to create a system to feed the widows. The only problem was they weren't very good at it. <laughs> Apparently, they lacked some administrative skills or, or whatever because the, there was some discrimination going on, and certain widows weren't getting the same amount of food or something like that was going on. 
See, what happened was they failed to reorganize their, 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 their organization, which, is, which was the church, as the church grew. They didn't reorg, okay? If, if you're in a part of a, a business or, or some type of organization, there are, when you grow, you've got to kind of switch things up because, you know, you've got you to do things differently when, when growth happens, and they didn't do that. So, there, so problems began to arise. And the mission was in jeopardy. What was the mission? Go make disciples of all nations. Not create systems to make sure all the widows in the world have food. Now, that's important, but that's not the mission, right? So what do they do? What do they do? Well, they do what every good church leader does. They call a meeting, (laughs) and so that's what happens. Look back in Acts chapter 6. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and here's what they said. We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, which is exactly what Jesus told them to do. We should spend time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. Listen, they continue. Here's what, here, so here's, what, here's, here's the kind of the, the idea that they come up with. Again, there's no manual. Jesus didn't leave behind. Here's how to do it. They just kind of figured this out as they were going along. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this, say it with me, this responsibility. We're going to give authority and we're going to give responsibility to seven other people to take care, to build a system where there's no discrimination, where all all the widows get their food, so that we can do this. Watch this. Watch how they finish. So So that we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. You see what they did there? They gave away responsibility and they gave away authority so that they could focus on the very most important thing that Jesus told them to do. Now, watch what happens in verse 7, because they did this. So, because of that, God's message continued to spread. Why? Why? Why did God's message continue to spread? The number of believers, say it with me, greatly increased. Why? Why did the number of believers greatly increase? And many of the Jewish priests were converted as well. Why did the church continue to explode? Why did the church continue to fulfill its vision and its mission? It's because the apostles said, hey guys, we're getting distracted by by something that's very important. It's important for people to eat. Have you ever gone a day without food? It gets pretty important. The widows need to eat. That's important. But the main thing needs to be the main thing, and that is to take this message that Jesus gave us about grace and forgiveness and love and spread that. So that's exactly what happened, and the church continued to grow. Andrew Carnegie, uh, some of you know who he is. He lived in the early 1900s. He built Carnegie Steel. He became one of the wealthiest people in the world when he sold Carnegie Steel to J.P. Moreland for $480 million. Spent the rest of his life giving away most of his wealth, which at that time was about $350 million that he actually gave away, he gave it away, and now today we have universities and, and colleges, and well, those are the same thing, but uh, <laughs> we have museums, and we have all different kinds of, you know, uh, libraries that, are, that, that Carnegie gave his money to. In today's wealth, that $350 million is worth about $9 billion. So think about giving away $9 billion. That's what he did for the last 17 years of his life. He said this about delegation and empowerment. No person will make a great business who wants to do it all himself or get all the credit. can't happen. You must give away authority and give away responsibility. And if you don't do that, you cannot build a great organization or make the difference that God has called you to make. Does that make sense? So how do you do it? How do you empower others? 
How do you actually delegate and give away authority and give away responsibility to other people? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. I'm going to give you five things, five ways. Of, uh, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but it's something that I find myself, and, and as a church staff, we find ourselves doing all the time in order to make the difference that we make. How do you give away authority and how do you empower others? Number one, you must be secure. you got to be secure in who you are. There's so many people that, that struggle with insecurity. And insecurity in a leader is, 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 is the worst kind of insecurity because if a leader is insecure, basically what they're saying is, my value is attached to my position. And my value and worth is attached to what I do. So I can't give away what I do to you. I can't give away my position to you because I'm giving away my value. Anybody have somebody, somebody like this at your job? These are the people that withhold information because <laughs> information is power. It makes them valuable, so they keep it in. They don't share. They don't give, a, they don't give away responsibility because that's where they're holding their value. See that? And if they give it away to you or somebody else that they're training underneath them and they're trying to bring up somebody underneath them, they feel like they're giving away their value, so they don't do it. They don't delegate, and they don't empower because they are insecure. If you want to be a great leader, you have to be secure. Not in your position or not in the task that you have or, or that you perform, but in who God has made you to be. That's where we find our security. In the, in the skill set that God has given to you. Listen, if you went to a different company, if you went to a different organization, you would bring your skills with you. They wouldn't stay with that organization. Your value is, is in your skill set and, and who God has made you to be. And that's where you find your security. Not in your job position or in your tasks. If you find it there, you will never empower others and you will never delegate anything. Does that make sense? So number one, you and I must be secure in who we are and in our skill set. Number two, you have to choose the specific tasks that you must perform. <laughs> this is what the apostles did. They chose the things that they alone had to do. Let's go, to, let's go back to something Eli Broad said, the guy that started two Fortune 500 companies in two different industries. He said this, watch this. Once you've identified your crucial tasks, the things you have to do, and sorted out your priorities, try to find a way to delegate everything else. In other words, focus in on what only you can do. Let's, let's go back to the book of Acts. Let's look at what the apostles did. Check this out. We apostles should spend our time doing what? Teaching the word of God. Spending time in prayer and teaching the word of God, we should not be spending our time running a food program. So here's what they did. They sat down and they said, what are the main things here? What are the things that we need to focus on? What are the most important things that Jesus told us to do? He told us to teach and preach and pray. And then they delegated everything else to other people. Does that make sense? Andy Stanley in his book, Next Generation Leader, said this, only do what only you can do. This changed my whole, the way, whole way I focused on this, leading this church. When I, answer, I had to answer that question, well, what, what is it that only I can do? What is it that this church absolutely, that no one else is called to do? And that's lead the staff of our church, which we now have over 50 staff. Lead the staff and preach messages on the weekend. If I, if I delegate those two things, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, we might not be trouble if we find a better leader than me. <laughs> God might do better things, I'm not sure. And probably so, Right? But that, so now what I do is I focus my time on leading the staff and preaching sermons on the weekend. Do I do other things? Of course I do other things. But it's sort of like an 80-20 split or a 70-30 split, right? 
Only do what only you can do. And I know that sounds difficult. And oh my gosh, we're starting a business and I do everything. I know there are times we've, we've all been there, right? But, but in the long run, this is what, if, you, if you're going to grow your, your whatever it is that you're trying to grow, <laughs> maybe it's your family, uh, you got to focus on what only you can do. So that's number two, right? Now watch this, number three. You got to choose the right people. You got to choose the right people. When the apostles had this meeting, with all the believers, they did, here's what they didn't say. Hey, guys, we got a little problem. Church has grown, and now the widows are being neglected, and, and, and uh, we need some people to jump in. Uh, any, any volunteers? Anybody out of work? Anybody have a teenager who's lazy? You know. No, I'm not being serious. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just saying this is what the apostles didn't do. You know, it's like... Anybody have some spare time? Is there any warm bodies out there that, you know, wouldn't mind putting some food in front of some widows? That's what they didn't do, right? If they had done that, they would have attracted some, some, some shady characters, maybe people who would steal food from widows instead of giving them food. What do you think? <laughs> Perhaps. Here's what they did instead. They were really, really careful about who they picked. Let's look at the verse. Select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. How did they find out if they were well-respected, filled with the Spirit, and wise? You know what they did? They did a little first-century background check. <laughs> they asked about them. They either had personal knowledge about these guys, or they went to others and said, hey, what do you think about him? What do you think about him? Is he, you know, honorable? Is he, does he have integrity? Is he, is he led by the Spirit? Let's look at his decisions. Because everybody leaves awake. You understand that? Everybody leaves awake. I hope you're leaving a good one. We should do a whole series called The Wake. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Everybody has this thing behind them that you can look into. This is why, this is why when you're, when you're uh, tr- applying for a job, they, they, they look into your history to see your wake. Why did you get let go from that last job? Why, why, why all these different things, you know, positive and negative? So they, they looked into these guys' wake, and they said, whoa, these guys are well-respected, and they've made some really wise decisions, and there's evidence that they actually are led by the Spirit in their life. And they chose very carefully to get the right people. Because if you get the wrong people, what happens? <laughs> You're in big trouble. Now, in your family, you got what you got. You don't get to pick. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a different situation there. But, but uh, you know, and I really can't get into how to solve that problem. But, but <laughs> you want to get the right people, right? So at this church, what, what we find ourselves li- try literally living out this principle all the time because we have now, like I said, over 50 staff members at all three campuses, and uh, it, it, if we don't have the right people, we're in big trouble. I actually want to introduce to you two of them right now. Um, they're going to come on up here. Pastor Marion Glover is one of them, and uh, Debbie Kidwell is another. I want you to give them a hand really quick. They're going to come up here. These are two of the finest people you're ever going to meet. You talk about having the right people on the team. I'll start with Pastor Marion. Uh, Pastor Marion's been on staff here since 1982. Since I was three. How about that? So when I was three, he was on staff here at Emmanuel, which is crazy. And so if you are wanting to get married at this church, there's like a 90 plus percent chance that Pastor Marion's going to do your wedding. And uh, if you are, if you happen to uh, die, uh, which would be a bad thing, um, there's like a 90 plus percent chance. That's kind of dark, right? Sorry. I just kind of don't think about that. Um, but if you did die, there's a 90 plus percent chance that Pastor Marion's going to do your funeral. He's, he does our weddings, he does our funerals. Uh, if you get sick, 
um, there's a, a very good chance that Pastor Marion or someone on his team, he has a volunteer team underneath him that does our hospital visitations. Um, and so he will most likely visit you in the hospital. And he does a plethora of other things as well. Um, so uh, because, listen, our church is now you know, over 4,000 people that attend on the weekend. And there's a ton of people that are sick and a ton of people that want to get married. If I did the hospital visitations and the funerals and the weddings, my wife would divorce me. It's just... <laughs> that simple. And so uh, you make, a lot of you make requests and a lot of you say no. Um, I do hospital visitations, but it's only when you're in really bad shape. So <laughs> if you see me show up at the hospital, <laughs> am I right? It's not good. Now, if, if you see Pastor Marion show up, you're good. That's a good face, okay? Uh, so so uh, we could not do what we do as a church without Pastor Marion and his team. Uh, let me talk about Debbie. Uh, Debbie is one of the finest human beings I know on the planet. Uh, if you have any type of issue uh, that you're struggling with, whether it's depression or anger or any issue down in the heart that's just tripping you up, it's causing you to stop, marriage problems, all kinds of stuff. Debbie is, uh, there's a high, high percentage, a high chance that you will see Debbie because she oversees a, a huge part of our counseling ministry, along with Bill Miller, who's our campus pastor at Banta. Bill's awesome. He's not here today because he's campus pastoring over there uh, at Banta. But uh, it's incredible that week in and week out, Debbie is sitting, I, I kid you not, her car is here like 7 a.m. in the morning and all the way through, through to the afternoon, she's just meeting with people one after another after another, just helping people work through all of their issues. And so uh, if you see me for counseling, you're really screwed up. <laughs> so uh, most likely, uh, if you need counseling, you will not see me. I'm not a good counselor anyway. I'm a coach, so I just yell at you. <laughs> this, I, I don't counsel people. I coach them. And so you don't, you don't want that, right? You want someone to listen and empathize, and Deb's real good at that. Um, so I kid you not. I kid you not. These are just two of our 50 staff members. We've got a whole team of people that carry the weight of this ministry. I'm a talking head. That's what I am. But behind the scenes, there are people like Pastor Mary and Pastor Debbie that make this church what it is today. Can we give them a hand? Awesome. Love you guys. You must choose the right people. If you want to make, lead any sort of organization that does things beyond your own capacity and your own abilities. Let me talk about the last two really quick. Number, number four, number four. You have to be really clear on the what and the why. The what and the why. These apostles said, look, here's what we need done, guys. We need the widows fed. Create a system to make sure everybody gets food and it's fair. Got it. Awesome. A lot of times people who are following you are frustrated because they don't know what you want. They're unclear. So you have to bring clarity to what it is you're asking them to do as the leader. But even more important than that, you need to be clear on the why. Why do you want me to do this? See, the apostles, I'm, I'm sure of this. I can't prove it, but I'm sure of this. They said to these seven guys, hey, guys, when you feed these widows, that's going to free us up to go preach the message that Jesus gave us to preach, which is put your faith in Jesus for eternal life and abundant life. When you do that, we can do this. Do you understand why this is so important? And if I was one of those seven guys, I'd have been like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. So when I feed the widows well, you guys can go preach. So I'm having an indirect effect on the church exploding. Yes, 
You see that? That's the answer to the why. I was one of those kids growing up when, you know, when my mom would be really clear on what she wanted me to do. Um, I was one of those kids that was like, okay, but yeah. Why do we need to come home at 10 o'clock? Why can't I hang out with her? Why can't I go to this place? Why can't I go to the mall? Why can't I ride my bike over there? Why, 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 why? Were you like this? Do you have a kid like this? See, we hear the what, but we need to connect the dots on the why, right? And so my mom would often say to me, because she was worn out, because we had three teenagers in our house, three six-feet-tall ate everything in sight, broke everything in sight, teenagers. Do you have any of these in your house? Big people? <laughs> and so she was often too tired to give me an answer to the why question. So she would say, because I... Now, look, if you wanted to send me, just me, I don't know about you, but if you wanted to send me through the roof, just say because I said so. Now I'm like, now I'm not going to do what you said just because you said that, Mom. Like, I don't even care. Like, I'm just disobeying because I need to know why. Why can't I do that, right? And so when she wouldn't give me an answer, I just disobey. <laughs> it didn't go well a lot of the time. <laughs> She's going to get a lot of crowns in heaven, I tell you that much, for what she put up with. Anyway, you as a leader, you got you to connect the dots. So a lot of times I'll sit down with my kids and, and, and different people, whoever I'm leading, and I'll say, here's what I want you to do. But more importantly, here's, what I, here's why you need to do it. Because when you get older, you don't want to spend time in jail. See how that works? <laughs> you won't like it there. See, that's a why. That's a why. Fill in the gaps for your kids. You, here's what you want to do, and, here, and here's why you need to do it. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And then you're going to get people motivated to follow your leadership, right? Be clear on the what. More importantly, be clear on the why. Now, let me give you this last one real quick. Trust them to do it. Man, get out of the way. Be clear in what you want, answer the why, and then trust them. Here's the biggest temptation with leadership, and I struggle with this all the time. People are not going to do it as good as you. When you delegate something, when you empower someone to do something that you were doing previously, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to do it like you. They might do it just as good, but they might do it differently than you. Does that make sense? The other day I was... Uh, I was working with my son who's here today. He's awesome, great kid, love him. We were working with the weed whacker. And, uh, you know, I was explaining to him, like, you don't want to touch the house because if you touch the house with the cord, it'll burn up the cord and, and then, uh, you know, it won't work. And so, it, you know, he took it there and he's just trying to serve because he's got a servant's heart and he just puts it right up against the house. <laughs> you know, burns off the cord. So stop, stop, stop. Give me that thing. It's, I just took it back from him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I suck at delegation. Can I tell you that? I just took the weed back. Instead of working him through it, try again. You know, he just did it wrong, and so I just took it back. Empowerment failure. <laughs> this is the struggle with leadership. We give away, we give the weed whacker away or the, or the lawnmower away, or, or the dishwasher is another one. Oh, my goodness. I don't know about your house, but the dishes never make it back in the right spot, ever. We've given away authority. We've given away responsibility, but it doesn't work. And so we got, you gotta look, i got to look for my cup. I don't know where my cup is. It could be anywhere. <laughs> I would like my cup where my cup goes. It's not there. Why? Because they're terrible. 
putting stuff back. Now, I, here's what we can do. Here's what my wife and I can do. We could just say, you are done with the dishwasher. Never touch it again. In fact, if you touch it again, you're getting spanked. Now, we could, okay, we don't spank anymore, but anyway. But so we, we could do that, but we can't do that. We can't do that. My mom, my mom, I'll tell you another quick story, then we'll wrap this thing up. Is that okay? My mom's a great woman. I mean, she, I would not be where I am today without my mom. She, and in a lot of ways, she empowered me. Like one time when I was 14, she said, go get a job. Leave the house and do not come back with a job. So I went out and got a job at Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. I was a hot dog guy, flipper. I was. I cooked all the hot dogs at Nathan's. Anyway, I won't go there. So in a lot of ways, she empowered me. But in some ways, she didn't. Like, I'll give you an example. When I showed up at Liberty University for, my, for, for, for college in the first day and the second day and the third day, I was looking around for who's going to do my laundry. <laughs> Just dirty laundry, dirty underwear everywhere. Started re-wearing it. <laughs> no, because where's mom? <laughs> I, I've never did laundry in, in one piece my whole life. And now I'm at college, no moms. Like, well, I guess you just wear your dirty socks. Turn them inside out. I mean, I didn't wash my sheets for an entire semester. Listen, listen, this is what happens. I know that's gross. Empowerment. It's generational. You've got to give your kids responsibility. What am I saying today? Here's what I'm saying. I, I love, I'll, I'll quote Theodore Roosevelt, great president. He said this. The best executive, the best leader is the one who has the sense enough to pick good people, pick good men, to do what he wants them to do. But, and here's what, here's, you got to get this. And the self-restraint enough to keep them from meddling with them while they do it. Because that's the temptation. We want to jump in and do it ourselves. I'll just do it. Get away. Get out of here. <laughs> I'll take care of it. But you will not be leading if you are not empowering and delegating. Does that make sense? And I'll go back to Andrew Carnegie, and we'll close with this quote. He said this, and this is really what I wanted to pound today. It makes a big step in your development when you come to the realization that other people can help you do a better job than you can do alone. That's what leadership is all about. It's trying to, you're trying to accomplish something that you cannot do by yourself. And you need other people. And if you don't empower them, you won't accomplish that. Does that make sense? So you have to begin this process of empowering people, if you're going to do things like Kimberly Browning. Now, if you don't want to do things like Kimberly, if you don't want to make a difference, if you want to live your life and, and, and just not make a big impact, you don't have to take any of this stuff. You can just throw it out. But if you want to actually like, make a difference and do something bigger than yourself, you have to get this, use your influence to rally a group of people around you, empower them, tap into their resources, their abilities, their capacities, their ideas, their strength, their energy, to do something bigger than yourself. Does that make sense? Now, as we wrap up here, what blows my mind, I'm, I kid you not, this blows my mind. Jesus is the greatest leader in the universe. God the Father is the greatest leader in the universe. Of course, they're one. I, that may be complicated, but they're just they're three and one. The greatest leader in the universe has delegated, empowered, given the responsibility of sharing the message of the gospel to people like me blows my mind. Here I am, a pastor with all kinds of problems and struggles, just like you have in your life. I sin, I fall short. Sometimes I lose my temper. And God says, yep, you're the guy. You're the guy I want to share the message of eternal life and abundant life. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. 
Talk about taking a risk. Huge responsibility to pastors just like me, pastors all across the world, who in this very moment on Sunday are sharing a very similar message. Blows my mind. And here's the message. Here's the message that's been entrusted to me, an imperfect person. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to die on a cross for you, to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus said one time, there's no greater love for a person to, to, to show it. There's no greater way to show it than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. And then he went and did it. He laid his life down for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you can be reunited with God in a relationship. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing about this very idea, he said, God demonstrates his love for you that while we were yet sinners, while we turned our backs on God, Christ died for us. Powerful, powerful truth. Some of you need to step into that today. Some of you need to reach out to Christ today and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Embrace grace and mercy in your life. Be forgiven and washed of your sins. I made that decision when I was 18 years old. I've been leading people to make that decision now for years. The best decision you can ever make because it's the one that impacts all eternity. There's no doubt in my mind that there's at least a few of you here today, you've been thinking about it, not sure, maybe next week, maybe today. What about right now? In this very holy moment between you and God, would you reach out to, would you reach out to Jesus right now and put your faith in him? If you're saying, yes, I think so. Okay, right now. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Just right now. With the little faith that you have. Doesn't take a lot. Say this to Jesus. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I've needed you for a long time. And right now, today, I reach out to you. In faith, I trust you to wash away all my sin because I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. I believe you rose again the third day so I could be forgiven. So right now I ask you in this very moment to be my Savior, my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me, washing me, cleansing me, and making me your child. And from this day forward, from this very moment forward, give me the strength, the desire, the energy to follow you, to obey you, and to honor you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, i got some good news for you. The Bible says that you are now a born-again child of God. Can we give the Lord glory for that? I don't often say this. I don't often say this, but I, need, I feel led to say it today. If you just prayed to receive Christ today, here's what actually happened. Jesus has become your leader He's become your leader. You've said to him, you're in charge. You call the shots about my life. 
I want to follow you. I'm going to mess it up, but you're the leader. I'm not in charge anymore. That's what happened today. If you pray to receive Christ and you'd like to know how to follow him, guess what? The Bible makes it pretty clear. And so that's why every time someone prays that prayer to receive Christ, we, give, we want you to have a Bible. Say, I already have one. Okay, that's fine. You can take another one. This Bible is broken down into little five-minute readings in the New Testament. I read these passages every day, read, read it again this morning, because I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what he has to say about my life. I want to know what he has to say about life. I want to know what he's like in his own character. I want to grow in love and adoration for him, and that comes through reading the Word. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, please go grab one of these Bibles. Again, can we give God glory today for what he's done? What a privilege. What an honor. I hope I steward the responsibility that God has given me well. I hope today was a blessing to you. Hey, hey, as you leave today, as you leave today, as you walk out today, what do you need to give away? What responsibilities? What do you need to delegate? Who are you going to give it to? Don't just give it to anybody. You could get in trouble. Step into your role as a leader because you have influence. Could God do something through you like he did through Kimberly Browning? I think. I think so. What do you think? Let's pray. Jesus, um, you've given all of us a measure of influence. Help us to leverage it. Help us to use it. To bring about your will in this world. Not to do stuff we want to do, but to do what you've called us to do. To be a blessing. To show love. To make a difference in this broken world that needs so much help. Use us. Help us to step into our role as leaders. Give us a burden to help us to take ownership, to act in love, to have the right mindset, and to empower others on the journey. We'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week, guess what? We're going to talk about the difficulty of leadership, and I'm going to give you some specific coaching on how to make it through the hard times as a leader, because leadership is hard. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.